Romans, the twelfth chapter, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I'd like to speak from verse 2, one phrase, the renewing of your mind. Praise God. The renewing of your mind. You may be seated. It is so very important that a person safeguard their mind against a lot of the trash and things that are being infiltrated into our present world. And there is certainly a lot of garbage that people are feeding their minds on. Billboards, magazines, newspaper articles, uh, you name it. Uh, I'm just really amazed at some of the filth that is available for people to think on. Now, the renewing of your mind, the Apostle Paul is saying that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed. Transformed simply means that you are being changed constantly by the presence of the Lord and that your mind is in a constant state of revival or rejuvenation. God wants to rejuvenate the mind. He wants to revive the mind. He wants the mind to become more like Him than ever before. Now, <clears throat> I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians, the, the second chapter, if you would. Colossians 2, a very familiar passage of Scripture uh, we want to make reference to. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Colossae and... Uh, he speaks about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that He is indeed the head of all power and principality. Verse 9 of, of chapter 2, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. Now he precedes that statement by saying, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. In other words, there are individuals in the world today disguising themselves under the banner of religion that would preach or teach something to you that would sound good, but it would not necessarily be good for you. In fact, many of them teach things that diametrically oppose the truth. Now, Jesus also warned us of this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, 
Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way and broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction, and many enter therein. Now, he leaves that and goes directly to this particular statement. He said, beware of false prophets. Now, it seems strange that he would connect the straight and the narrow and the broad and the confused way with the false prophet. But you see, the false prophet is a person that stands right outside of the gate of the straight and the narrow, and they tell you, oh, you don't have to do all those things to be saved. It is not really necessary that you do all those things to be saved. Now, we baptize here exclusively, exclusively in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By that I mean we don't baptize any other way. If you come here and you want to be baptized in the title Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we've got a telephone book that we use as a matter of reference that contains probably 300 churches will baptize you that way. But we won't. Period. And if you come here and you want water poured on your head as a symbol of baptism, which is not scriptural, we've got a list of churches in the telephone directory that will pour water over you. And also, if you want it sprinkled on your noggin, there's a lot of churches around here that will do it that way. But we won't. And it almost sounds cruel at times to disappoint people. But the truth of the matter is, We've got to stick with the Bible regardless of who it offends or who it makes happy. You see, the word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. And we can't do things just to please the minds of people. Now, there are some churches that do it any way you want it done. Now, I personally honor a church for standing for what they stand for. In other words, if they believe in sprinkling, then I say stick with sprinkling. Now, that doesn't make it right, but at least you have to honor people for standing up for what they believe. And if you want it poured and, and they believe in pouring, you have to honor them for pouring. But I'll tell you, I have very little respect for a church or a preacher to do it any way you want it done, simply because that's the way you want it done. And I think that any church, whether it right, is right or wrong, if they do not have a structured theology, that church is desperately in need of leadership. You know, you have to admire people at least for standing up for what they believe is right, whether it's right or wrong. Now, that doesn't make them right. But a church that has no basic theology that will do it any way you want it done, I have very little time or respect for such a church. Now, notice what he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, that's the teaching of the world, not after Christ. 
For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead." And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, notice this, quickened, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now the word quickened is mentioned here, and I made reference to this last Thursday evening in my message. The word quickened actually means to grant life or to rejuvenate. Now, we all understand what this means when it refers to the body, that is, to the natural body. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks in Romans, the 8th chapter, he said, If the Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal bodies, it shall also quicken you in the day of the Lord. In other words, there will be a time in which that the Lord will come back to this planet earth. And if the Spirit of Christ dwell in you, it will also quicken or make your body alive, because the body is a body of death. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? In other words, the body is dying. But the Spirit in the day of the Lord will quicken will make alive that body. And, of course, it will be changed from mortal to immortal. It will be changed from corruptible to incorruption, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, today, however, the Bible tells us that through our baptism and through our basic belief in Jesus as being the head of all power and principalities, that God has quickened our minds. In other words, we have everlasting life in us that works right through our minds so that we think a certain way. And that's what Paul was saying in the submission of the body. He said, submit your body. The body is a body of death. It's a body that, that uh, is decaying. And it is corruptible. And the natural mind has power over everything that you do and even the spirit inside of you if it's not submitted to God. It must be submitted to God. Now he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the quickening of your mind, by the rejuvenation of the mind, by the revival of the mind, that ye may prove what? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? If the body is not submitted to the Spirit that dwells in us, naturally, we have no way at all of doing the will of God. 
we cannot do the will of God. Now, John the 6th chapter, verse 63, and it's not necessary that you turn there, but we just want to make reference to something. The Bible tells us that our minds are quickened by the Spirit. The 7th chapter, Jesus goes on to say, on that great day of the feast, He stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the Spirit hath said, out of his bellies, or innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the Spirit, that they should believe on him. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John seven thirty seven through 39 That Spirit that flows out of us, like a well of water, has the ability to quicken our minds or to make our minds alive. It is a live spirit that's in us. It's a spirit that's able to conquer us or to control us. Now, this is a must for every Bible-believing person. And then, of course, if a person wants to go to heaven... Whether they're Bible-believing or not, it is a must that they submit to this. In the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, there is a commandment that's made by the Lord. Now, he's dealing with the conflict of the Spirit with the flesh and the carnal mind against the spiritual mind. Now, by the carnal mind, we mean a corrupt mind, a, a mind that follows after the flesh. By the spiritual mind, we mean a mind that follows after the Spirit. Now, verse 8, the Bible tells us, So then they that are in the flesh can not please God. Now, what do we mean, they that are in the flesh? Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, Therefore, there or there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. Now see, you can be spirit-filled and still walk after the flesh, but there is no guarantee at all that you can have eternal life just because you're spirit-filled if you're walking after the flesh. In fact, in fact it's just the contrary. The Bible promises you and God is not slack concerning His promises. He promises you that you will not enter in the kingdom of God if you are carnally minded. Now, so when we say they that are in the flesh, we're talking about people who walk after the flesh. We're all in the flesh. Do we have anybody here that left their body someplace? No, we all brought our bodies here. And we all live inside of this body. Now, most people refer to themselves as a body. And they only look at themselves as a body. Now, Jesus said, Ye destroy this body or this temple, this tabernacle, in three days I will raise it up. He, when He spoke, He spoke not of Himself, but of His Father that sent Him. The words that I speak unto you, he said, their spirit and their life, they have the power and the ability to quicken. But the true identity of Jesus Christ was more than just a fleshly form that perhaps was six foot tall and maybe 160, 70, 80 pounds. 
more to him than that. And there's more to us than just flesh. I was really amazed as I looked back last evening through some pictures. Sister Grant got some out. And she was making reference to some pictures. And she had some pictures there of Brother Grant when he was 18, 19 years old. And, and uh, Julie was there and she began to laugh at one of my 19-year-old pictures and didn't look like me at all. And then occasionally people come in, they see the baby pictures on the wall and the family pictures and everybody is laughing and... You know, that's not Brother Grant. Yes, that is Brother Grant. Now, I've changed considerably, but I'm still myself. And one of these days, as much as I don't like to see it come, because there is an element in us, we all like to stay young. You know, I'm getting older. I'll probably have to wear glasses. My hearing will be impaired quite a bit. I'm, I'm getting a little bit thin up here. I got gray coming. So far, my teeth are still good. I really praise the Lord for that. But I do have a bum leg, you know. I'm claiming healing, though, for that. I really believe that God touched me this past Thursday. But uh, I'm still myself. And, and I could be involved in an automobile accident in which maybe a leg will be taken off or an arm will be taken off. But you see, I'm still myself. And people that tend to get very discouraged when old age sets in and, you know, they want to paint their face like a barn, you know, so that they, they take the real rosy look with them to the grave. Listen, you're just kidding yourself. You know, we know what life is all about, all of us. And dying is a very natural thing. And we live in this body of death. You might as well to accept yourself just as God made you and leave it alone. But most people have a problem when they only look at themselves as a fleshly form. There's more to you than that. Now, when it speaks of the carnal mind, it's speaking of people who only look at themselves in a fleshly fashion. And the flesh is constantly changing. It's going toward the grave. It's dying. And so if you look at yourself that way, it simply means one thing, that you can't not please God. Now, I don't want to lose an arm, but if I lose an arm, I'm still John Grant. And I don't want to lose a leg. If I lose a leg, but I, you know, I'm going to be sad, but I'm still John Grant. And I'm married to a very beautiful woman that's growing old. Now, some people can't take that. You know, they don't, want, they, don't want, they don't like to see their spouse grow old. So I could send her off someplace and let them put that beautiful look on her, but remember... Friend, that, that after a shower or the next morning after a night's sleep, she's still darling Grant that's 40 years old. You know, I've seen people out in public, I'd go knock on the door, they'd come to the door, and I could hardly believe it was the same person. We had a lady visit our church one time, and, 
and very nice lady. And I, of course, I, I couldn't determine, you know, uh, how old she was. I wasn't even thinking much about it. But when I went to the door, knocked on the door, in the middle of next week, she came to the door. I like to die. I couldn't believe it. I said, "Now, you know, and I, you know, I just felt so. I, are you, are you the? I mean, you know, is this Mrs. So yes. Well, my, what a change! You see, that's what he's talking about. And people who look at themselves in that fashion, they're thinking after the flesh. Now, Paul says, "They that are in the flesh, that is." think like the flesh, they cannot please God. Now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6, the Bible says, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So, there are certain things you've got to have faith to please God. And if you walk in the flesh, you can't manifest faith toward God. You just can't. Why? Because you're sensitive. You know, everything is what I want. You're egotistical. Everything is self-centered. Easy to get your feelings hurt. Always concerned about people doing you wrong. Isn't that right? Always backbiting somebody, being critical. Oh, I could go on and on and on. But you see, that's what happens when you think after the flesh. And it's so very important to remember that if you release yourself and start thinking of yourself as more than just a body, a fleshly form, you can find a peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because you're not always worried about things that you'd worry about otherwise. Now, Romans the 8th chapter, verse 5, and we'll just read some of this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, you take a person that's always thinking about the flesh. No. Now, I think that Christians, I want to set the record straight. I think that Christians ought to look nice. They ought to be neat. They should practice personal hygiene. People should see you much further than they can smell you. I, you know, I believe all of this. But what I'm saying is that, that that's all you do is accentuate the flesh. And that is, that's number one in your mind. In other words, how does my hair look, huh? You know, every little hair has got to be in place. You'd be afraid, you know, to get out in the wind at all. Some people on a hot, burning day won't put a hat on because it crushes the hair. See, some people in the cold winter, they won't put a hat on because they don't look good in a hat. My, when everybody's got their head down, buttoned into the wind, they don't look at your head anyway. <clears throat> but it means something to you. You understand what I'm saying? It's flesh all the way. It's how I think. 
about myself. Now you will be so disappointed when you see your body falling apart. If you think that way. And you will be so confused and there will be so much frustration. And when you look at your spouse and she's growing old, you're going to become dissatisfied. You've got to think the way the Bible tells you that you need to think in order to maintain a constant level of peace. Don't you think it's a beautiful thing to see a couple grow old together? All right. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death. Now, the reason why is because the Spirit that quickens the mind, that rejuvenates the mind, that revives the mind, is not working in this individual that's carnally minded. So he's thinking only of the flesh. But to be spiritually minded is life and what? Life and? Now, why is peace in there? Tell me, why did he put peace in there? It's more than just life. It's more than just eternal life. You see, when Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, he wasn't talking just about eternal life. Now, he was including eternal life, but when he says more abundant life, he's talking about a life in which you can be happy, a life that's fulfilling until you die. But to be carnally minded is death. It's going to cause more corruption and more chaos and more confusion than you could ever believe. Why? Because this old body has already been cursed of God to die. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. We got anybody here that's never done anything wrong? Then, if you've done something wrong, there is a pronunciation already of death upon the flesh. And you can't do anything about it. So the best thing to do is to change your way of thinking. And I'll tell you, there are so many things in this present world that are against God. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And you can go to a person that's always thinking of their flesh and always thinking of themselves as only a fleshly form, and that's all they think. And you try to talk to them about spiritual things and about the law of God and such, and they don't have the ability. Listen to me. I say they don't have the ability. 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 I want that to sink in. They do not possess the ability to think of the commandments of God in the fashion in which they need to think of them. They cannot. They just cannot. And every now and then in counseling, you know, I just want to give somebody a brain transplant. I mean, you can just talk and talk and talk, and they just sit there and say, well, I don't understand that at all. I, I just cannot. 
I, I, I just, no, I, I, just, I just, I can't, I cannot. I, I, I just, you know. And I've had people to walk out of my office and tears would come in my eyes and I'd fall down on my knees and I said, God, they really don't get the drift of what's going on. They just have no idea of what this is all about. Have you ever seen, even people who have been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, it seems like that, that they just revert right back to the carnal mind. And they just don't know what's going on. And you can talk to them about everything from being faithful in church attendance to, to treating their neighbors right, and they still don't. They just they don't seem to get the drift. Now, the Bible says a carnal mind cannot know the things of God. <clears throat> Praise God. Now, verse 9, But ye are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Now that simply means if you're keeping that spirit rejuvenated in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. One of these days a trumpet's going to blow. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And one of these days if we're faithful... And if the Spirit is working in us, everything's going to be all right. Now I want to go back to Genesis, the sixth chapter. And of course, the day in which we live, according to the prophets of Jesus in uh, Matthew 24, is equivalent to the days of Noah. In other words, there will be a parallel of conditions. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis 6, 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the Bible says that God looked down prior to the flood and saw the human race. Now, what had happened in the human race prior to the flood was that, that uh, the Spirit of God that, that moved upon man was ignored by man. They just ignored it. Now, God dealt with man. Now, God says... My spirit will not always strive with man. In other words, I will not always have this conflict with, this, with man and his, his inner nature. I can talk to him. I can deal with him. I can war with him inside. I will convict him. But if he ignores my conviction, then I'm not going to just sit down there and fuss and fight with him all the time. I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. And that's exactly what God did. Now what happened, the Bible says, the daughters of men uh, married the sons of God. In other words, there were incompatible marriages. Now when I say incompatible marriages, 
Please understand, when, when, when Paul speaks in, in his book to the Corinthians, when he says that, that we should not unequally be yoked together. In other words, if, if a person is living for the devil, doing the things of the devil, and here's a person that's living for God and doing the things of God, what do they have in common? See, what is common? Uh, there's no common ground. They don't think alike. They don't act alike. And, and if a Christian and a non-Christian continue to date, one of them has to give in to the other if there's compatibility. And you're just kidding yourself if you think that you can date some girl that's not in the church. If you're a young man, you're trying to live for God. Without it affecting you, it's going to affect you or it's going to affect them, one or the other. Now, the examples that we have in the Bible is that when this happened, the evil overcame the good. Now, why would evil overcome the good? Simply because the very fact that, that it's also a commandment in the Scripture not to be unequally yoked together, that you become a transgressor and a violator of the law of God by allowing such a, a romance to continue. Now, if you're in the church and new in the church and you're dating somebody who's not in the church and you were dating them when you came, I don't suggest that you just go out and say, okay, right now I gave my heart to God and you and I won't see each other again. Now, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that after a period of time that you're going to find out that as you grow in knowledge and in grace with the Lord that there is a bigger gap created in your compatibility than when you first found God. And it's going to continue to grow until such a time that you've got to make up your mind as to whether you want to live for God or not. And, and if the young man or if the young lady won't live for God, then you might as, you're kidding yourself if you think you can stay on fire and stay spiritual and still have a very good, sound, solid, uh, kosher relationship. You can't do it. Now you're kidding yourself. Now, what happened was that there was a breakdown. And when the breakdown occurred, then what happened? The Bible says that the very imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And if you have ever seen or heard of a description that met today's present society, friend, that's it. Everything from rock music to bumper stickers. Everything from T-shirts to home plaques. And it all has a sexual connotation. Isn't that true? My wife and I were in Woodlands just the other night after church, and, and there was a man that came in. This man must have been 70 years old, and I could not believe what he had written on his T-shirt. I believe if I'd had a bucket of paint, I'd have painted over it right fast. I couldn't believe it. And here, he's uh, 
up there and he's standing up real big and bold and he's writing out a check and and here's a young lady waiting on him and I couldn't believe it was terrible listen to modern music today well maybe I should say don't listen to it I don't listen to to modern music but I pick up enough from reading and uh, from the conversation of other people you know, our young people all seem to know what it's all about. And every now and then they'll, listen, if I even knew, I wouldn't tell it. You'd never get me to admit that I knew if I did. I really wouldn't. It's nothing to brag about. It's sad. I am just appalled at the, at the titles of some of the songs. You go down to the country kitchen where they got the the uh, the jukebox in there, and you you flip through and you wow, there's titles. I can't believe it. You know, country and western music is always uh, a man cheating on his wife, or he's or he's with somebody else's wife. It's it's not a single and single, never. You know, it, it can't be that good. See, it, it can't be that proper. Isn't that right? You know, it's always something like that. And then, of course, rock music is uh, is drugs and sex and rebellion violence. You know, so really, when when you look at when you look at the system of our world, and you read the pages of the epistles, I mean to tell you, they are diametrically opposed. They are perpendicular in thought as much as anything that you could possibly find. I really praise God for the Christian school. Because of all the scripture that we, uh, we pump into the kids. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have kids that don't have problems. They do have problems. But I really praise God for the Christian school. Now, I just made out the, the list of scriptures for this year, and uh, I thought I'd have them naturally doing different scriptures. Uh, I just remember one passage of scriptures, Galatians 5, and uh, it's just such a, a beautiful passage of scripture because it deals with the fruit of the Spirit, but not only does it deal with the fruit of the Spirit, it also deals with the works of the flesh, starting with verse 7. Verse 16, and here it is, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary. In other words, there is a strife, there is a pulling. And they're contrary. The one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, unclean, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedations, heresies, envyings, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelings, 
and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's something. I guess according to this, if you are envying all the time, you can't go to heaven. Is that what it says? I suppose that that's what it means. Because that's what it says. I suppose if you're always in a strife with somebody, that you can't go to heaven. Now, I make that assumption because that's what it says. It's not hard to draw an assumption when the Bible just point blank says that. See? People always got something stirred up all the time. And strife is something you can't quite pinpoint. You can't quite put your finger on it. In other words, you can't quite name, but it's just a point of discontent or dissatisfaction. Enough just to cause a little friction all the time. And I have pastored people for a long time. This is the fourth church I pastored in. You know, I left three churches before I came here. And there are people that I pastored, started pastoring in 1964, that they always kept things stirred up. And every now and then when I go back, I ask about these people, and the pastor says, well, they're, they're, they're great, they're doing fine. And then uh, the pastor will say, you know, uh, I don't know, that, I just don't know what to do, however. They always seem to got, have some little bitty something going on. They don't get the drift of what it's all about. Now notice why he said that the spiritual mind brings life and peace. Let's say it real peaceful. It brings life and peace. Isn't that something? Some people have an opposing spirit. They just develop it. See? Wrath. Just always trying to get even. They got some reason to. I think people are trying to get me. I'm going to watch myself. I won't guard myself. Do you think those people have peace in their mind? No. I've talked long distance recently to an individual on the phone. And I would say that in the last three weeks, I have spent 12 hours long distance to this individual. And finally, I told this individual today, you know, you may have a valid point, but i got to tell you, I can't understand why you're making such an issue out of such a little bitty thing. Just something to happen up at camp, you know. And I said, I wouldn't clutter my mind with that kind of garbage. I was done wrong. I said, well, my, you were just assessed $10 because of uh, some behavior. And I'm not here to say you're guilty or not, but my, $10. I, you couldn't hire me to get on the phone and talk 12 hours for $10. 
especially about something like this. And, and you know what you're doing? You're keeping your spirit stirred up all the time. What do you suggest I do? Says, send in the $12 and keep your mouth shut. But I can't do that. I said, you can do it if you learn how to pray. <clears throat> you think so? I mean, really. <laughs> My time is worth more than that, and my my experience with the, with the Lord, I think, is worth more than that. Now, <clears throat> we're sure going into a lot of things, aren't we? Philippians, the, uh, the second chapter, we want to explain this. Now, <clears throat> Philippians, the, sex, the second chapter, uh, let's start reading with verse 1. If there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now he's given you a real secret of being happy. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, that doesn't mean that you meddle in other people's business. That simply means that, you know, if you're going to be bragging about things, look for something that somebody else has done to brag about. See, rather than always say, look what I have done. Okay, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And what the Scripture is saying, now, <clears throat> the only way that uh, you can be in one mind and one accord, the only way that you can have the fellowship of the Spirit that you need to have, the only way you can find the, uh, the mercies and such, if the, the only way that you can find real consolation in Christ is to do this. Esteem other people better than yourself. And brag about what they do that's good, not yourself. Now how can I do that? You allow the same mind that was in Christ to be in you. Now, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of him that sent me. See, the true identity of Jesus Christ was God. So when he spoke, he spoke as God. Now, God 
put His Holy Spirit in us. And it is that Spirit that quickens the mind and works on the mind. Now, <clears throat> what he's saying is, now let's consider Jesus, okay? Let the mind that was in Him be also in you. Now, He was in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. <clears throat> now, what Jesus, what He's saying is that Jesus, being equal with God, because He was in the form of God, didn't consider Himself robbed of any glory when He submitted Himself. See, as God, well, what could He have done? When Jesus was nailed upon the cross, the Bible says He could have called twelve legions of angels to take Him down. But He didn't do that. They stood there and they doubled up their fists and they spit in His face and they mocked Him and they, they slew Him, they nailed Him, and they, they said, If thou be the Son of God, Come down, buddy. Crawl off the cross and let's fight. Could he have done that? You better believe. If God could strike down Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts for telling a lie, if God could open up the earth and swallow up Korah, and all of his family and his disciples and his children for bringing rebellion against Moses, don't think Jesus could not have come down. He could have. But did he? No. You see, now he's in the form of a man. And because that he's in a form of a man, he, at this time, becomes a redeemer for man. God does not want us all fussing and fighting on the earth. If everybody tried to have their, their rightful place, by that I mean everything that's rightfully theirs and such, you know. I don't know how you feel about it. That you've heard the Gettysburg Address and the preamble of the Constitution and it talks about all men being equal. I think one of the greatest problems we have in our society is that we feel that everybody's equal. Now you may say, oh, Brother Grant, they are. Well, you see, there is a, there's, a, there's a way to look at this, you see. See, some men say, I am equal with everybody else. So, give me my rights! Now, that's the carnal mind. The spiritual mind is, you know, you're equal with me. You take your liberty to be yourself with me. I love you. I'll submit myself to you. That's the way the spiritual mind works. 
seems to be very little difference in them. But it's the tenor of it, see, that makes the difference. And equal rights can never be practiced until the spiritual mind is in operation. And that's what Jesus was talking about there, or Paul was talking about, when he spoke of Jesus. See? He's talking about equal rights among the brotherhood. The only way this can be practiced is that you esteem your brother above yourself. And if you're going to brag on somebody, brag on somebody other than yourself. Because when you start looking in the mirror and say, Ha ha, look how handsome I am. <laughs> look at my talents. <laughs> oh, I just, I'm so eager to go out and tell somebody what I did today. You watch me. I'm just going to split my community wide open with success. And everybody's going to see my gleaming car and my sh fresh shine shoes and my clean haircut and my new suit. Everybody's going to notice me. Why? Because I am somebody. You can't be saved when you think like that. You just can't be saved when you think like that. Boy, I'm sure putting a lot in this that I hadn't planned on. <clears throat> in Luke, the 15th chapter, <clears throat> Jesus speaks of a, of a boy who goes to his father. And he's a prodigal. Father had two sons. Now... <clears throat> The one son goes to his father and he says, Father, now I've been, I've been living here for a long time with you. And, uh, you know, what's yours is mine, what mine's yours. And uh, you're right, son. Well, if that's true, then give me what's mine. Is that what happened? Well, the father says, <laughs> uh, I detect an independent spirit in you, son. Well, the logic is, now you've heard people deduct things like this. The logic is, give me what's mine. I mean, what's mine's yours, what's yours mine. Give me what's mine. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? See how some people, some people can put things together and it just doesn't seem to, you know, it makes sense, and you, it's hard to find a loophole in the way they're thinking, but, but you know it's not right. The spirit of it's not right. So he took what was his, and of course he, he, he decided he'd make a journey into the world, which he did, and he decided he'd uh, spend his money where he wanted to, which he did, and this business of stewardship where God's directing your life and telling you what to do and how to act and so forth. Uh, okay, the Bible says there he wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, riotous living, that simply means that he was just having a big blast. <clears throat> spending on what he wanted to spend on. Now, the Bible says when he spent all, and then, of course, there came a mighty famine in the land, that he began to be in want. 
And then, of course, he, he went and joined himself to a citizen of another country. And when he joined himself to a citizen of the country, he sent him to the fields to feed swine. You know, I'm really amazed at how the commandments of the Lord really work. And I don't know why I'm putting this in. You know, this past week I've had three different individuals who call me up and want money. And I have taught in Christian stewardship that, uh, that the principle that Jesus gave in Matthew 5 when he says, Give to every man that asketh thee, is really a Bible principle. Well, one lady called, first lady who called this week, uh, I told her, I said, okay, I'll give you something. Her children attend this church. She may be here in this auditorium. I, I would not recognize her, but I promised her some money. And so I, my wife and my son went over and delivered the money. Somebody else called. <clears throat> Truth of the matter is, I, I didn't give the next people money. Why? I didn't have it. I was stone broke. Uh, that is it. Somebody else called and wanted some money. I was broke. Well, the third individual who called calls me all the time. Sometimes I have money and sometimes I don't. <clears throat> so my wife and I were discussing this, and, and we were just about ready to make up our mind that this last individual, we were just going to tell him, look, we do not have a charitable fund in our church or emergency fund, so just don't call back. But I told my wife, I said, you know, but I don't want to tell her that. Because maybe someday uh, I will have some money and maybe I should help her. Why? Because you know what I teach in Christian stewardship. And I said, now, I have never yet helped an individual what in just a matter of days, I mean just the snap of your finger, God blesses me. Never. I said, now, hon, I really believe that I am blessed as I am blessed because of practicing some of the Christian principles of the Scripture. But what if you give your money all away? Then there's nothing, you know. You can't. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give it to your bosom. Now I just, we discussed this Friday night. But now here I am broke. I mean, I didn't have any money. Now that's just it. We, uh, my wife and I, went in Ella's Della for an ice cream cone. And so when I walked away, my wife reached down where I put some money in my wallet, and she picked up a $5 bill. She came out. She said, here's a five. Well, I did have a five. Okay. And uh, she gave me that five, and I got home, and my five was still in the wallet. I said, "Hun, I said, uh, this is not the five that I had because it's still in the wallet. I thought I had lost it. Well, at any rate, would you believe 
that here comes an individual down the road yesterday afternoon, pressed on the brakes and stopped all of a sudden, jumped out of the car and came, How are you doing, Brother Grant? How in the world are you doing? I haven't seen you in two or three years. Oh, my wife and I were just traveling through here. You remember how you took me into your home and how you fed me and how you loved me and took me to church and sent me off to service? And Yeah. He said, I'm passing through going to Marinette, but the Lord impressed me. I was over at East Town shopping to come by here. And he pulled out $50 and he says, uh, I don't know if you have a need or not, but, but God told me to just come by and express to you how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. And uh, now don't argue with me about it because God told me to. And this is yours. Now that's yesterday. See. Now I'm not here to make some big advertisement of how God has blessed me, but to show you that, you know, while I was thinking, should I do this or should I not? Because sometimes the flesh says, look, John, you work mighty hard. And folks, I have been working hard, and I have been busy. And, and a lot of you I have not been able to take care of the way that I'd like to take care of you. But the congregation is growing. And I've stayed up nights, and, and the Lord woke me up this morning at 4 o'clock. It was out on the patio about 4.30 that God gave me this message. And I couldn't sleep, but I felt such a burden. And I even repented that I wasn't able to take care of some of you like I'd like to. God, this Wisconsin district is a big district. And you have put me in a position of taking care of so many. And an independent church called me last night and said, Brother Grant, we want to become part of your fellowship. We want you to come up here and examine us and look at it. And... and uh, just a lot of heavy things. And God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But what I'm saying is that, you know, I worked very, very hard. And, 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 and so I, I want to look at my money and say, oh, God, now I worked hard for this. And there's just a lot of lazy bums around. But then all of a sudden you feel this rejuvenating spirit. The same mind that was in Christ come into you. And it begins to move. And it begins to motivate. And I told Sister Grant, I said, you know, Sister Grant, the real problem I have with all of this is I cannot bring the Word of God in direct reconciliation to the way that I'm thinking. God's Word is settled. I've got to deal with it. So what I've got to do now, I've got to ask God to allow the same mind that was in Jesus to be in me. God, put your same mind in me that used to be in me. Don't let me stray and become carnal. Don't let that happen to me. The prodigal, verse 17 the Bible says he came to himself. Now the coming to yourself is what I want to talk to you about in the closing remarks of this message today. 
Every now and then you know that you diametrically oppose part of the Bible either in direct commandment or principle. And yet it's easy for you in your own mind to logically deduct why you do certain things. I can't witness because. I can't believe God because. I can't come to church faithfully because. I can't pay my tithing because. I can't be charitable because. I can't 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 because. And after a while, you have deducted everything from the Scripture that you possibly can. And justifiably, you do it. And it all makes sense. Oh, you could go to an attorney and you could plead your case and he'd say, you have a case you could win in court with thinking like this. But there is a great judgment day coming. A high court will be set up in the heavens far, far above the earth where every man must bring his case to God. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't it great to know God? To have the peace of God in your heart? Praise God. I want to hear him say one day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, every now and then somebody will ask me why I do certain things. And I said, well, I can't really tell you. It's just that I really want to be on the safe side. And I believe that what I have drawn as a standard for my life as well as yours as a pastor is a safe one. I just want to be saved. And I want you to be saved. Praise God. You want to lift your hands, don't you? Let's all lift our hands right now and praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. And would you stand right now? Every now and then something will click inside of an individual where they don't think right. And I know they're not thinking right. And for some reason they know that they've made an abrupt change, but they can't figure out why they're thinking wrong. Because it all makes good common sense. But... The train of thought takes them away from the altar. They can't pray at the altar very long after service because they've got jobs in which they have to go to early in the morning. Makes sense, doesn't it? See? They can't come to all services because they're tired. Makes sense, doesn't it? 
By the time I pay my food bill, my rent, buy clothes for the children, and that's just the bare necessities, I don't have any money left for anybody else or God. And if a man provides not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. Makes sense not to play tithing in a case like that, doesn't it? But is that really right? The carnal mind says so. But the Bible says, oh, not so. Let me tell you something. Did you know that 15 or 20 minutes extra at the altar of hard praying with a sinner will cause you to sleep better than wrestling with a guilt when you get home? Did you know that leaving your light bill unpaid to pay your tithing will bring a lot more rest than dealing with guilt in your relationship with God? Not only that, it will bring the blessings of God. Did you know that? Listen to what Jesus said. Come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Did you know that rest in your mind will cause the body to relax? But the body cannot relax until the mind is at ease. Did you know that? Line must be upon line and precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little. For with stammer and lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes by bedside at night. Praying in the Spirit as I spoke on Thursday night. Talking in tongues. Relieving yourself of frustrations and fears. And casting all of your cares upon God will give you more rest than that extra 15 or 20 minutes that you think you need. Praise God. Praise God. I don't know how to end this. I feel a real Spirit of the Lord moving across this place right now. I feel that somebody's coming to themselves right now. They're thinking about how good it was when they first received the Holy Ghost and how good it was when they first prayed through and how wonderful they slept at night and they're not sleeping so good now. They're remembering those days in which they honored God with their substance and now they're not so blessed and they're understanding now because the Spirit of the Lord is moving. Praise God. Hallelujah. There is a place to pray on both sides of the pulpit here. If you'd like to come and submit your life to the Lord, why don't you step out right now? Doesn't make any difference what walk of life you're from. Doesn't make any difference whether you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost or not. Doesn't make any difference whether you've been baptized in Jesus' name or not. But you'd like to just come and pray. Not that you're so carnal that you're lost, but you just feel God dealing with you. Why don't you just come on and pray? Praise God. Come on, step out and come and pray. Oh, hallelujah. 
All right, many are turning right now in their pews and praying. Why don't you turn and kneel? Remember our service tonight now at 7 o'clock. Choir rehearsal at 5.30 and prayer in the prayer rooms at 6.30. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you.